0: So today, if you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to finish Ephesians 5, and then uh, uh, Matthew will do Ephesians 6 over the next two weeks. Today is a subject about marriage. So I'm glad we talked about marriage a little with you, Kyle. It's about husbands and wives. If you're not married, I want you to think about this. You know people who are married. You might get married. If you're divorced or widowed in some way, We are with you in this, but we want you to know that the Bible speaks very specifically about wives and husbands, and we're going to look at that today, because I think marriage has fallen on hard times in this country, and the Bible is very specific. So I've asked Elizabeth, and by the way, don't tell anybody, but it's her birthday today. (laughs) Happy birthday. So... Will you read the word?
1: Happy to. Good morning, family. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that
0: she respects her husband. So today we're gonna talk about husbands and wives, and this is one of those subjects and passages of scripture uh, that people love to avoid. And one of the reasons why we speak in uh, whole books is so that we can't skip it. So do we wanna skip about submission? Maybe you do, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe it's better not to talk about it in some people's views, but you know what? It's in the Bible, and we're working our way through the Bible in different books, so we're gonna talk about it today. And uh, what I'd like to do is I want you to think of marriage like a canvas. We've all heard this. It's a canvas, and on that canvas you get to paint the palette of the colors are what you do onto the canvas and i believe the scripture today gives us different colors to our palette. There are four main colors it gives, and we're going to look at those four main colors, and then there are multiple secondary colors as well, where you might mix a few together to get the various hues. So, today what I want you to do is think about the colors with which you paint your picture of your bride or your husband. Elizabeth and I have been married 41 years and a half now, thank God, and it is an amazing thing of painting. Every day, we are painting, we are taking this brush and painting new aspects to our canvas. And again, we're going to look at this today. So let's begin. Why don't we start with the hardest part first? Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, it's there. I'm not making this up. But there's no period after there. It's a comma in English. It's a comma. It says, as to the Lord. We are to submit, wives, to our husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Um, That is way out of what people want to hear today, isn't it? Forget this submission thing. What's interesting is I was uh, listening to a podcast about uh, creativity yesterday. There's a new book on creativity. And what the author, who was not a believer, he was Jewish, though, and had a concept of God, he said this. He said, self-expression is never about yourself. Self-expression is never about yourself. He said, you have submitted to other people, and you don't even know you have. What you are wearing is a submission to other people. How you talk is a submission to other people. Where you work is a submission to other people. The things you do, you have submitted to other people. You go, no, I haven't. And the reality is, yes, you have. And you go, but Bill, you're the head of this church. You don't have to submit to anybody. You're the CEO, the senior pastor. Let me tell you, I have eight, ten people that are over me. They're called elders. And the elders have... 850 of you over them. And oh, by the way, we have an audience of one over all of us, don't we? We are under submission at all times and the more we think we self-express ourselves and are not under submission, the more we are kidding ourselves. The reality of this is you are. whatever The way you dress, when you see somebody dressing different, they didn't think about it. They did it because someone else did it. Or maybe they expressed it a little differently and showed some creativity in changing it. God has called women, wives in particular, not women, wives. This is a wives-husband thing, not women-men. It's a wives-husband. Sometimes men think it's a woman-man thing. It's not. It's a wives-husband thing to submit. Now, this is important because... What you may not realize, if you think of the church back at the beginning, at the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago, there were three cultures that were uh, influencing the church. There was the Jewish culture, the Greek culture, and this new fledgling Christian culture. All three. Now what was interesting was, in the Jewish culture at that time, not all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish culture, but in that time, women were second-class citizens. In the Greek culture, they weren't even second-class citizens, they were way underneath. They were under, the wives were underneath the kids. They were underneath the servants. We're gonna talk about servants next week or the following week. The wives were even behind the servants. The servants had better status in Greek homes than wives. We don't remember this. But then when Christ came in this new way called the way, Christianity is what we call it now, came, women were brought status. They worshiped together. They ate together. Women in, in Greek homes did not eat with their husbands, by the way. The women ate elsewhere, the men ate in another place. There was total separation between the men and the women, and it was this way, separating. But in Christianity, they were together. They were brought together. There was an equality together between men and women. In fact, in Galatians, it says there is no male or female. There's an equality, but there has to be a submission point here. And what's interesting is you go, but what do the husbands have to do? We'll get to you men in a moment. You're going to wish you were submitters rather than what you have to do. (laughs) Submitting is easy compared to it. Elizabeth and I were traveling a few years ago to a country that I won't name, a big country in another part of the world. And we were sitting there with some Christian leaders and they, I go, what are some of the hardest things you have to deal with? And they said, wife beating. And I said, oh, in the culture? And they said, no, in the church. I said, you mean there are people that are just coming into the, no, they said, the deacons, the elders, and the pastors are beating their wives. I'm not kidding. This is not, this isn't, this is serious stuff. I said, why? He goes, because it's okay in the culture. And these people come to the Lord in their 20s, and they grew up with their fathers beating their mothers. And so they assume it's okay. One of the reasons Elizabeth and I do a lot of marriage seminars around the world is not because we know more about marriage than anybody else. If nothing else, let's just read the Bible to them, and let's understand. And it's an amazing thing that when a family is freed from the bondage of this uh, subservient attitude between the men and the women and the women voluntarily submit, it is a beautiful thing. It is an amazing, see it's one thing to submit when I have my hand up, of course you'll submit. It's another thing to submit out of the love of the husband and the obedience of the scripture. And that is very, very different. Women, you do not submit because the man's hand is raised. You submit because his heart is humble. And God has called you to submit as we are to submit to the Lord. One of the things we do in, um, in our marriage seminars, everywhere we go, we'll separate the, men, the, the, the couples and say, go for a walk. And we say there's only one thing you have to do when you go for the walk. You have to hold hands. Now, in America, that's no big deal. But the rest of the world, a public display of affection is not allowed. You know, just like anathema. And I say it's not a public display of affection. What it is is that you walk together. You see, when I'm walking here and Elizabeth is back here, I can't talk to her. I can't communicate with her. I can grunt to her. I can yell You know, commands to her, but I can't talk with her. When she's side by side with me, I can talk with her. So we always do it. And it is just so hilarious to watch these men. They'll start holding hands and then they rush off to talk to other men. And I'll come out and I go, Nope, you can only talk to your wife. And you come back. And over the two or three days of the seminar, they start realizing that this woman is important and she wants to submit. Now, so I'd like to put a word with submit, if I could, because I'm going to do it with all of the four categories, is submitting love. You submit in love, women, wives. It's important. Now, let's go on to the second one. The second one says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, doesn't say the boss, Or, you know, the the strong arm and all the rest. It says, you're the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here's the hierarchy. Christ submits to God. We submit to Christ. The wife submits to the husband. We are all submitting. So don't think it wives you have to submit more. What the husbands have to do is, for the husband is the head, and um, of the church uh, as Christ is the head of the church. Even as so now, what does that mean? And it'll tell us a little later. We husbands have to act like Christ. You have to act like Christ. What did Christ do? Didn't he wash the feet? Didn't he forgive? Didn't he supply? Did he help? Didn't he speak? Didn't he take punishment? And I think he even died for his bride, didn't he? Ladies, you got to submit, men you've got to die. And we laugh about it, but we men, husbands have to act like Christ. Why? Because marriage is a picture of the church. You see, most people, let me ask the question. I'm gonna ask it two questions. Did you become a believer in a building of a church, not necessarily this church, a building of a church, or did you become a believer outside the building of a church? Can I ask that question? How many of you became a believer inside a building called the church? Raise your hand. Good. How many of you became a believer outside a building called the church? Raise your hand. It's probably two-thirds outside, one-third inside. You see this? Most people are going to learn about the church and thus learn about Christ outside of the church. And how are they going to learn about Christ and the church? They're going to learn it from people who are followers of Christ and a member of the church, big C, a member of the church, So what is the best example of showing that? This passage says a godly marriage. A godly marriage shows it. Now, our world is, um, I I say this with respect, going to hell in a handbasket or whatever saying you want to say, it's just going the wrong way. Would you agree? Kind of going the wrong way. It's just going the wrong way. And so you go, what is the worst thing that has happened in the last 30 years to head in the wrong way? And you can just list, 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 list. We're doing, you know, right? Everybody has their list. Can I tell you what bothers me the most? And I'll tell you why. Gay marriage. Not because gays are together. They've been doing that for 5,000 years. That's bad, but that doesn't. Bother. I mean, it bothers me, obviously, but it doesn't bother me as much as calling it marriage, because marriage is the closest thing we have on earth to show the relationship of Jesus Christ and His people. This is what marriage is: the man, the husband's the head. The wife is the body and the kids and we have this and we show this coming together and now we can no longer do it without all kinds of descriptors and that has bothered me more than anything. I don't know. There's a lot of things that bother all of us but that has bothered me because when you see a good marriage, if you have a good marriage and you share who Christ is because of that, People can see a physical example of a spiritual reality. That to me is what he's saying here. He's saying, We are to submit. We are submitting to Christ, who is our head. The wives are submitting to the husband, who is their head. It's to be a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. In the world, because that's who they see. They see you and me. When Elizabeth and me, if we were to sit and fight and argue and this and that, and everybody knows, you know, well, you're a pastor, you're a Christian leader, you're an author and all the rest, and you can't make it work. Why would I want to? You see that? This is what happens. This is why it's so important that we have strong marriages. It's important for the married couple, but it's important for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People think it's all about me. It's all about you. It is not all about you. It is not all about me. We want you to have strong marriages. Personally, together, we want you to have strong marriages also because it is one of the greatest evangelism tools God has ever given. We can tell you how to share Christ. We can tell you how to show people the way, the truth, and the life. But if they see a good marriage and go, this is kind of what, like Jesus is. It's an amazing opportunity to share that. So that's why we hold marriage so dear. Not just for the relational side, which is so important, but also for the reality that people are watching us. Those of you who are married, we want your marriages to succeed. And so there is, the, so the first one is submitting love. The second one is sacrificial love. The third one, let's keep going. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He's moving from the picture of people, husband, wife, marriage, to the picture of the church. But in it, he says, sanctify. It's interesting here, sorry, that he might sanctify her. I would like to say men, husbands, there is a sanctifying love that needs to come. You need to spiritually help and be responsible for your wife and family. You have to have a spiritual component. He talks about the washing of water with the word. We can argue is that real baptism. Is it a metaphorical picture of the cleansing and the washing? It doesn't matter. It's a spiritual thing. We are to wash our wives With the water of the word, sanctifying them, helping them, being with them, doing the things we need to do. It's not just sacrificing for them and working extra hours. That's all good. But it's also the spiritual side. Men, you need to be the spiritual leaders of your home. Can I get something on that one? (laughs) Boy, are you quiet now. And you go, but she's stronger than me. Duh, because she's she's reading in the morning and she's praying and she's doing this. Maybe you need to do some catch-up work. And if you don't know what to do, I'm serious now. Don't go, well, she's better than me and so I'm gonna kind of let her do it. If you wanna catch up real quick, just go, let's read a Bible verse or two tonight at dinner. Let's read a Bible verse Uh, Before we go to, you can help her spiritually. And you don't have to be any great shakes. Open the Bible and start reading it. And go, let's just read a couple of words here. And let the Bible teach her until you're ready to teach her. This is why we have all these classes. This is why we try to help you and all. Women, you're responsible for yourselves. Men, you're responsible for yourselves. But you're also responsible to help your wife grow. And it is okay if she's stronger spiritually than you. Please understand, you can help people who are stronger than you. Don't think you have to always be the strongest. You want to be the strongest, and you hope to be the strongest and the most spiritual. But you know what? If you've got a strong spiritual wife, go, thank you, Lord. I've got a strong spiritual wife. I'm going to do everything I can to put wind under her wings to continue to grow. And maybe you don't have the pithy saying she does, and maybe you can't journal like she journals, and maybe you can't pray as long as she prays. You women can pray a long time. I'm like, wow. Man, that is so cool. We do prayer time on Tuesdays here in staff, and when I'm with a woman, I'm going, they are just going on forever. (laughs) Like, this is so cool. I mean, it's okay. There's a spiritual side. There's a sacrificial side to this, and there's a spiritual side to this. So there's a submitting side, and it's in love. You see, love is the the brush. I just don't, I'm not Jackson Pollock that just throws paint on the the canvas. We brush it on with love, submitting, sacrificing, sanctifying. Sanctifying. Then the last one, 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. There's a satisfying part of this love. There's work to it, but there's also the loving part, the the sensual, sexual part of this as well, and just the growing together part. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is a beautiful thing. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter two. It's quoted multiple times in the Bible, and this is what it is. There is an embodiment of the marriage that is different than Elizabeth and Bill individually. The coming together of Elizabeth and Bill, the coming together of you and your husband, you and your wife, creates a new one flesh that is different. You can do things together that you cannot do separated. Some people say, I've never done that. Well, now is the time to begin, and it is never too late. You may have been married for 40 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter. You can do things together that you cannot do separately. And now would be a great time to figure that out. It is an amazing thing when a husband and wife can do things together, both for their own benefit, but then for the benefit of the greater kingdom of God, the benefit of your children The benefit of your grandchildren. Some of you even have great grandchildren, how, and aunts, and your aunts and uncles to your nieces and nephews, whatever it may be. It's an incredible thing. And then he uses these words nourish and cherish. There is an intimate love in marriage of nourishing. You see, I can give you food. I can give you some money. I'm not necessarily nourishing you. It will nourish you, but I'm not necessarily nourishing you. But I nourish my wife. I love you in the general sense, but I cherish my wife. I ultimately cherish my wife. This morning I got up early and did breakfast in bed, the whole thing. Guess what? I'm not doing that for you. (laughs) I love you, but I don't cherish you. I am not bringing breakfast to bed to you. Now, if you need some food, I'll get you food. But it's not breakfast in bed. Birthday or no birthday. See the difference? There's a nourishing, there's a cherishing that's there. It's men, if you can use these words, it's for the benefit of your wife. You do things for the benefit of your wife. See, we think, oh, I'm the boss of my wife. This is cool. No, it's for the benefit of my wife. That's what's so important here. Let me give you four words. And then I want to do an example here, if I could. Four words. First one we've talked about, love. These are four words that need to be on your palate. With submitting, sacrifice, satisfaction, sanctifying, Love needs to be on your palate. Another one that needs to be on your palate is forgiveness. Please understand if you're with someone more than about 20 minutes, you need to deal with forgiveness. (laughs) And some of you may be sooner. Seriously. There are people, I I, I remember I did a lot of marriage counseling years ago, I don't do it anymore. And a couple was like just ready to throw in the towel. And I said, how long has this been going on? And they told me the exact day it happened 13 years ago. And the unforgiveness that was there, now it's turned into a gangrenous issue. Please understand, if forgiveness had been done 13 years ago, I wouldn't have been brought in. It would have been a non-issue because we need to forgive Forgiveness, so love, forgiveness. Number three, which I already shared, cherish. There needs to be a cherishing. Above all others, you cherish your wife. You cherish your husband. And then the last one, which is a great one, which is honor. We need to start honoring. I hear too many times people um, putting down their spouse. She's this, he's that. Now, in a counseling session where you need work and help, that's one thing, but just out in the public, just throwing words out like that are just not healthy, my friends. Please understand, we need to love, cherish, forgive, and honor. Now, since COVID, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been to a wedding ceremony since COVID? Since COVID, Rachel. And a few of you, good. It's fun. Um... I want to take you to a wedding ceremony. Can I do it? So last week, while Elizabeth and I are away, our our daughter got married. So you might see a picture or two up there if they have them up there. Tim, if you can put a picture up there of her eventually, you'll see it. And I did something very different. I, um, I usually speak out of the New Testament and all these things, these attributes we're supposed to have and all. But I went to a book we never go to when it comes to marriage. You know what book that is? What book have you never read in the Bible? The Song of Solomon. Everybody go, oh, I can't read the Song of Solomon. I don't even know what those pomegranates are. And, um, and I'm not going to tell you what they are. You've got to figure that one out. But it's about a song. And it's a song of a man and a woman. The Bible describes marriage like a song. And we never hear it because we never read the Song of Solomon. But I want you to know that when you have a good marriage, people can hear the song. There's a book in the Bible. I'm going to read this because I don't want to miss any part of it. There's a book in the Bible that is written solely about marriage, though it is rarely referenced during wedding ceremonies. It is the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a testimony of the grace of God. The Song of Solomon is the love story of a man and a woman. It starts out with a courtship, chapters 1 and 2. It goes to the wedding day, chapter 3, and to the wedding night, chapter 4. You can read that on your own. It deals with a conflict that occurs in the marriage, Chapters five and six. And you know what the conflict is? Indifference. They begin to not care for each other, they begin to separate. Love is rekindled, forgiveness is granted. That's chapter seven. And then in chapter eight, the lessons learned that deepen their love are mentioned. Let me just read two verses in chapter eight of Song of Solomon. Set me a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong. It's as strong as death. Jealousy in this love is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. That's lightning, very the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would not take it. What are the lessons in this book? The power of love, the value of love, the unending nature of love. But our culture refuses to accept that what is intuitively it knows to be good, self-sacrificing love, commitment, intimacy, submission, they say it has no lasting place in our world. It insists against all the evidence that good is defeated in the end. It does so because the truth of God has not yet been fully understood in the human hearts or in our society. Love is a journey, not a destination. It is two people united into one, traveling together, but confident enough to be apart when necessary. At the center of this union is a delightful physical relationship, But this is merely one aspect of knowing each other completely. The the man longs to hear the woman's voice as well as to hold her in his arms. Her desire to kiss him, with which the song speaks, has been fulfilled but not satisfied. It never can be. The note of yearning and longing persists. By the way, let me just pause. I've done a lot of funerals, of people married 50, 60, and 70 years. And they tell me what they miss after only two weeks is the kiss of their spouse. is that amazing? How beautiful is that? The note of yearning and longing persists in their relationship, wonderful as it is. This longing is intended to remind us all of a love greater than any human love, a love for which marriage provides the best picture that the world affords. This jealous love of God for his people has triumphed over death through the cross of Jesus Christ and now invites his bride into his eternal embrace to embark on a journey together that stretches beyond ourselves, onwards and upwards forever. Marriage is the picture of the future Love cannot be bought and sold. It is a single-hearted, lifelong devotion between one man and one woman from the moment it seizes a person until the moment of their death. Nothing but the grave can separate two people who are thus joined together. That is what real marriage is about. That is the coming together of a wife who submits A husband who sacrificed, sanctifies, cherishes, honors, forgives. And that is the coming together of a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ with Jesus Christ. But the sad thing is, it's not working all the time, is it? It's just not. And there's a hundred reasons, probably a thousand reasons why that is. And we work towards them all working. But sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But today, today, this day, I would like those who are married, if you're not married or whatever, that's fine. And just think of those who are. But if you're married, and you want to commit your marriage afresh, anew to God. And you want your marriage to be a picture outside of here. Oh, it's it's great in the Bible studies, it's great here. We love you, y'all you look great. But out there, is your marriage a picture that someone could say, I need to know your God. I need to know why you two love each other so much. That kind of love. If you want to do that and recommit yourself, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, some of you, your spouse is downstairs working or they're not here or whatever. That's fine too. So if you're alone, but you're married and you want to commit yourself, you can stand without your spouse. But if you're here with your spouse, I'm going to ask Elizabeth to come up. We've already talked. She's going to come up and stand with me. I would love for you to stand right now that we can pray for each other. Liz, I'm gonna come down. So, this church has a high view of marriage. This couple has a high view of marriage. God has a high view of marriage. There are things that you can do. There are things that we can do when we're not married, I totally get that. There are things we can do as individuals, yes, But this scripture right now in Ephesians chapter five is calling you people to act differently, different than the world is acting right now. And when you do, I believe it will scream, there's a difference. And share Christ with the difference. You are not, you don't have a good marriage just to be good. Oh, you have a good marriage, good. No, we have a good marriage because of God. It's good, but it's because of God. And begin to share Christ because of your marriage. Amen? Let's pray together.